On today's episode of the Sports by Fry podcast, I'm going to be discussing the big news regarding Anthony Davis. The big New Orleans frontman has gone public, demanding a trade request from the Pelicans. Uh, it was always going to be a matter of when, not if. Sorry, New Orleans fans, I didn't think he was ever going to really consider staying in NOLA, considering how they've just failed him year in, year out to try and build a decent supporting cast. Um, Going to dig into a few of the teams that could make a move for AD and why some teams should make a move for him before the deadline. I'm also finally going to discuss my AFL fantasy side and a few players who could be maybe flying under the radar that you should add to your watch list. I did an article just a couple of hours ago talking about the 21 neglected players who need to be on your 2019 fantasy preseason watch list. So I'm going to touch on a few of them, not all of them. If you want to read the entire piece, you can check that out at sportsbyfright.com. And then at the end, I'll dive a little bit into my team that I've started with, the Large Fries and Coke 1.0, um, and talk about why I picked a few dudes over some others, and I'm already making changes. It's only January, but you can never start flipping and changing your team too early. So without further ado, let's dive in. So Anthony Davis does no longer want to be a New Orleans Pelican. Can you blame the poor dude? I mean, they haven't really built a good supporting cast around him. Drew Holiday, who I'll also talk about a bit later, is one of my favorite players in the league, but just failed experiment after failed experiment in New Orleans. The DeMarcus Cousins scenario, there's been, you could name a billion role players who've been in through the league, uh, sorry, in through the Pels that haven't really panned out. So I can't really blame Anthony Davis for wanting to get out of New Orleans. And it leaves the Pelicans in a pretty dire situation. They do have a bit of time on their side. They can, they're in no rush to trade him before the deadline and they can wait it out to the off-season when they could potentially demand more assets from a couple of teams. But, man, talk about a massive kick to the guts. This is in the similar ballpark as when KG left Minnesota. And luckily for Minnesota, they were able to get Carl Anthony Towns, the number one pick, a bit further down the line, but it's going to be pretty grim for Pelicans fans over the next couple of years, and it could honestly be very, very dangerous for New Orleans losing the Pelicans franchise. Seattle is gaining a lot of momentum in the past probably six months, I guess you could say, that uh, fans there want another team. Phoenix is another team who could maybe be in a bit of trouble in that regard, but yeah, not great news for the Pelicans. Anytime you lose a generational talent, it's obviously going to be a kick in the guts to your franchise. But they do, like I said, have some options. So one team that the strongest team linked to Anthony Davis is no secret that it's the Los Angeles Lakers. And if I'm running the Lakers, I've said this a couple of times before on YouTube, podcast form, in posts, in my blog, whatever... If you're running the Lakers, you've got to get Anthony Davis before the deadline. Now is the time to pounce. There's every chance that they can trade for him in the offseason. They've got enough assets. And it's pretty real, pretty realistic that Anthony Davis will end up on the Lakers one way or another. However, now is the time to do it. Before the deadline, before Boston can try and trump their offer with any potential big assets. Boston's got a huge number of picks that could just push an offer through for the Pelicans. But if you're running the Lakers, Magic, Rob Polinka, you've got to get this done before the deadline. You've got LeBron now. 
there's every chance you can get a superstar in free agency. But if you trade for Anthony Davis, you've already got a one-two punch, and there's no reason why you still can't sign someone. They could potentially free up enough cap space to maybe make a run at Clay in the offseason, or even Kyrie, who in the last week or two seems to be getting along with LeBron again. So it's not it's not a certainty that you're going to net a free agent in the offseason. The Lakers are a little bit different because of the whole Los Angeles pull and the fact that they have the history behind them. But that being said, if you've got a chance to trade for Anthony Davis, you've got to do it. I know I'm repeating myself for regular listeners, and I apologize, but I would have no problems parting with Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, and Kyle Kuzma from a Lakers perspective if it means that you net Anthony Davis right now. There's no reason not to trade for him. The pros just definitely outweigh the cons. They might be scared that he's going to leave at the end of his contract in 18 months' time. That's not going to happen. If Anthony Davis comes to the Lakers and he's got LeBron in tow, what really better situation could he go to? I can maybe make a case for the Warriors, but there's no guarantee that in 18 months they'll be the same Warriors that we're looking at now. So if... AD does go anywhere before the deadline, my guess is the Lakers. And to be honest, it's kind of trending that way. Now, New Orleans isn't pressured into making any deal. They've publicly said that, and they're going to trade AD on their terms. But they also have not been able to find New Orleans, uh, find Anthony Davis a, a suitable... Jesus, struggling. They have not been able to find Anthony Davis a suitable supporting cast. So... I don't really back in their front office to make the right move, and they could just feel the pressure and the heat and send him away and wash their hands of that problem. Boston, however, cannot trade for Anthony Davis until July 1st. I did a piece on Instagram and Facebook kind of outlining the rule as to why Boston can't uh, make a deal for AD, and let me just quickly explain it for those who aren't sure. It's because of something called the Rose Rule, which basically was implemented in 2011 after Derek Rose, and it allows a team to pay a player 30% of the cap instead of 25% coming off their rookie extension, or just previously a max 25, but now they can give them 30. Uh, but they can't acquire two players under the Rose rule via trade. Very confusing. And there's only certain players that are eligible for that extension. You have to get two all-star starter berths. You have to be selected to two all-NBA teams. You have to win an MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. There's a few things um, under that regard. Kyrie Irving is on that Rose Rule extension. So therefore, the only way that Boston can get Anthony Davis right now, before the deadline, is if they trade Kyrie in a potential Anthony Davis deal or they deal Kyrie Irving away. There was something I read that said you can have two players under that Rose Rule extension on your roster, but you can't trade for both. So that kind of hashes out that little dilemma. The Boston Celtics do arguably have the best assets to offer in a potential AD trade. I don't know if they can really trump LA given the timeline, considering they can't do anything before July 1st. And by that time, there might be Kyrie Irving walking out of the door because there's still growing speculation that he is not a certainty to re-sign in Boston, despite declaring his loyalty earlier in the offseason. But yes, Boston's kind of hamstrung right now. If I was the Pelicans... It would probably be smart to wait it out because I think of any players that could be involved in any deals. I do like the looks of Jason Tatum, probably over Lonzo and Ingram and Kuzma. I'm a big believer still in Lonzo, even though he hasn't really proven me right so far. But Brandon Ingram, 
has potential, but Jason Tatum's probably shown the most early throughout his career. So from that aspect, I would be tempted to trade for uh, AD in the offseason if he's still around on the Pelicans from a Boston perspective. But yeah, I would not be surprised if LA trumps an offer. Just quickly touching on some other teams who've been linked to Davis uh, minorly and some that have said they will try and trade for him before the deadline or there's rumours and reports and whatever circling around. Philly, that would be an awesome fit. Would love to see him in Philly. It's unlikely that they can keep Butler, Simmons and Embiid. If they trade Jimmy Butler, maybe that could push it through. But I think Philly... uh, Sorry, the Pelicans will demand Ben Simmons in a deal, so that's unlikely. Um, Toronto has been linked to Anthony Davis as well. I don't think they have enough assets to tempt uh, the Pelicans into a trade, maybe if you part with Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, or some other young dudes. But yeah, unlikely. Same with Milwaukee. They'd love to get AD and pair him next to Giannis, but there's not a hell of a lot, really, that uh, New Orleans would covet from the Bucks for a long-term play. Bledslow and Middleton are good players, good free agents coming up, so there's probably not a huge reason to trade for either of them because they could just walk away. And the New York Knicks, another team that's linked potentially to the Pelicans in an AD move. Again, they're probably asset stingy until the draft order sorted. Now, if they get the number one pick, there's no reason why they couldn't be a factor in uh, the trade circles in the offseason. I don't think they'd deal Porzingis for Anthony Davis, and I don't know what else really they could give up. They could offer maybe number one Kevin Knox and Neil Aquina for AD or something like that. So all of those four teams, it's hard to see any of them throwing the kitchen sink and getting a trade pushed through before the deadline. In the offseason, it might be a bit of a different story, especially if other things pan out. Maybe Kawhi declares that he wants to go to the Lakers and that scares off AD, or Kyrie says he's leaving Boston to go to Anthony Day, uh, to go to Le- join LeBron in Los Angeles. There's a thousand hypotheticals that could play themselves out, but I think those four teams, while they might have a bit of a pipe dream of netting Anthony Davis, I don't think it'll happen. So finally, the Anthony Davis trade request from a New Orleans Pelicans perspective. Like I've said at the lead-off, it's pretty gut-wrenching for a franchise, but they kind of only have themselves to blame. This happens in the NBA. It's about winning. It's about being in a position to win a chip. And unfortunately, New Orleans hasn't even been close. As it stands right now, they're out of the playoff race. There's not a hell of a lot of hope that they can get back into the mix, even though they beat the Rockets tonight in a pretty impressive fashion. But yeah, God, the poor New Orleans Pelicans. It might be time just to completely blow it up. And that could mean trading Drew Holiday. His contract, currently he's in year two of a five-year extension. I think he signed for 130 mil for five years, and he's got a player option in the last year. So he's still pretty expensive, so they'd have to take on some dead money and probably give up other things if they were to flip Drew somewhere. Philly could be a nice destination for Drew. Could see him in uh, 76ers colours. That'd be cool. I don't think there's a hell of a lot else on the Pelicans roster that teams are going to be rushing for to get to try and fast-forward a potential Pels rebuild. But yeah, it seems like, even though they've got, uh, what's it called, time on their side, I don't think that uh, it's going to end up too beneficial for the Pels. And they could be in real danger of losing New Orleans losing the franchise, if you ask me. Now, I'd hate to say that, but it's, you know, I've read it in a few reports. It's rumblings out there. Like I said before, Seattle's interested. Maybe it's snagging a team. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. 
Best case scenario for New Orleans, I think that they can force the Lakers to overpay before the deadline. They could maybe net two future firsts and two of those three young assets who I've mentioned, Kuzma, Ingram, and Lonzo. If I was running the Pels, I would definitely want Lonzo, Ingram, and probably Kuzma in that order. Maybe Ingram above... Probably Ingram above Lonzo, actually. We've got Ingram, Zoe, and then Kuz. Kuz looks great, but he's a pretty... I don't want to offend him, but he's a pretty... He's a good scorer, but I do wonder what else he can do. And he doesn't really fit in the Lakers lineup with LeBron and Davis, so he'd probably be have to include have to be included in a deal. If they could get all three of those young dudes, that's not a terrible haul if they get those three and a couple of future firsts. But if you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis, you know those future firsts are going to be picks in the twenties, so yeah, it's like I said, time is on their side and they do have some advantage of being able to control the Anthony Davis narrative to a certain extent, but yeah, not great news for the Pels this week with AD wanting out. If I had to put money on it, I think he'll stay... Oh, I don't know. I think he'll stay put after the deadline. I don't think he'll be moved. If he is moved, though, it has to be the Lakers. I couldn't see him going anywhere else. It would blow my mind if he ended up anywhere else, and it would probably send NBA Twitter into a meltdown. The Lakers could just suck it up and decide to wait it out, see what happens, what get LeBron healthy, see who they like on this roster, potentially even change coaches, because I know Luke Walton's been on thin ice all year, so maybe a change of coach could be the deciding factor in getting AD to declare his loyalty to the Lakers. But yeah, if he goes anywhere, I think it'll be to LA before the deadline, but if I was putting money on it, I reckon he'll end up in LA this offseason. Moving on now to AFL Fantasy, and we can rejoice. We can now finally build teams again in the AFL Fantasy site. Uh, the site went live. I uh, can't remember the date. I'm blanking at the exact details, but over a week ago now, I spent the majority of the long weekend socialising with my family and tweaking my AFL Fantasy team so that I could uh, present a formidable large fries and Coke 1.0. I'm still making changes as we speak, though, let's be honest. Um, Before I dive into my team, though, I want to talk about that article I mentioned, the 21 neglected fantasy players for your preseason watch list. Now, full disclosure, if you do go and check out the page, uh, the article on sportsbyfry.com, there are a few uh, left-of-field names, a few oddballs, as I mentioned, but I think that there is definitely some players in that list or mentioned in that article that you need to think about. Um, I'm going to talk about a few of them, not all of them. Like I said, you can go and read the whole piece if you'd like. One dude is Hamish Hartlett from the Port Adelaide Power. We saw him play pretty solidly in the lead-up to his ACL injury. From memory, he suffered that in round five last year. And he was averaging nearly 20 touches and eight marks a game. He's costing you just under 550k if you want to start with him in your fantasy side. So he's not super expensive, but he's not exactly cheap. So you have to pay up a bit for him. But I do think he has potential to be 85 points, ballpark. Um, Another one of his teammates who is almost 100 grand cheaper and just quietly is very, very high up on my watch list is Ryan Burton. Originally, he was pretty uh, upset about the thought of being traded away from Hawthorne, but he's a South Australian boy. Getting back to the native power could be a good move for him. He went at nearly 85 points a game uh, in the 2017 season, and then he had a bit of a down year last year, hence his price drop, but 
just as I was about to record this podcast, I saw a tweet from Vossi saying that they would love to unleash him a bit further up the ground, potentially play some time on the wing, which uh, ticks the boxes if you ask me. I'd love to see him maybe even get DPP and push to be a real solid uh, value play. I don't think he'll be a top six defender, but he could could be worth starting, um, especially at that price. There's a couple of other defenders on that list. Brody Smith sticking in South Australia is one who we saw return to the park late last year. And in one of those games, he churned out a triple figure score of 101. So that gives me some optimism that he can recapture. He's pretty much been a, an average of 80 for the last four or so five years. So yeah, I think he's priced, oh, I can't remember off the dome, but he's priced around the 60 mark. So there's definitely some upside there. 439k he'll cost you in the back line, pure defender. So with value in the back line, I know a lot of people will want to start with Witherden and Jake Lloyd, Laird or Whitfield. Now kind of Blakely's been injured. You could fill one of those gaps in with someone like Brody Smith or Burton and save yourself a bit of coin. Speaking of saving yourself a bit of coin, one dude who just keeps rising on my watch list this preseason is Andrew Brayshaw from the Dockers. Didn't spend a hell of a lot of time on ground last year for Fremantle, and as a result, his fantasy numbers weren't amazing. Being the number two pick last year, though, he started at a little bit of an inflated uh, basement price, and then we saw him make a ton of money, and he looked pretty tackle-happy, which is something you like to see from a uh, midfielder. You don't just want them racking up a ton of the footy. Getting marks and tackles is what really separates the good from the great. So, as I mentioned, Blakely's gone now injury-wise. I thought he could help fill the gap in Frio's midfield now that Lockie Neal's gone. And there are some dudes like Ed Langdon and the Hill Boys, Banfield, Chera. All of them will probably see an uptick in their midfield minutes. But if Brayshaw can get really fit and stay on the field a little bit more, spend more time on ground. There's no reason why he couldn't be an 85, 80-point player, and he could even really push it up to 90 and 95 and make it really worth it. So watch this space. His brother is the next dude I mentioned in my article, Angus, not Hamish, the West Coast rookie, who could maybe uh, turn the trio of Brayshaw boys into fantasy-relevant players. However, I'm sticking with Angus for a minute. He is priced at an average of 105, so he's not exactly the cheapest option out there. But that being said, he went 10 points above that in his last 10 games last year, had some stupid big scores, and he only went under 100 twice. So with everyone trying to chase value in the midfield, there are some guys like Dusty and Rory Sloan who have been popular, talked about guys, but we might be overthinking it a bit, and it might be wise to stick with someone like Brayshaw, who could be 10-point unders and go up turning himself into an uber premium. Not impossible. There are a few other guys in the midfield, mid-prices, and there's a couple of others, but Jackson Hatley is another bloke who I was a big fan of in the draft period. I was hoping that he would slide to the Dockers pick, but that didn't happen. And now that he's at the Giants, all reports coming out of their preseason camp is that he could be a round one debutante and is shaping up as a almost a ready-made replacement for Dylan Scheel in GWS's engine room. So he's a bit of a bullocking midfielder, throws his body around. Again, like I said with Brayshaw, you love to see people getting tackles and marks as well as getting the footy. And Hatley kind of ticks all three of those boxes. So he's someone on my radar. 244K is what he costs. So a little bit cheaper than some of those basement dudes we've been looking at, but someone who you should definitely keep your eye on. And as more news comes throughout the preseason in the JLT games, you could 
make a push for him to be maybe a last or second last midfield spot. It's not crazy. Speaking of money-making plays, at the moment in my team, I have Tim English from the Bulldogs as my second ruck, uh, with the exception of Brody Grundy, of course. So being able to pick English has saved me a couple of hundred K, which has allowed me to play around, pick a few different guys, upgrade some rookies and mid-prices into mid-prices and premiums, respectively. So he's priced at 61.4, Timmy English is, and there are some concerns because we did see him have a few lackluster games last year. There was one game where he caused half of us to tear our hair out. He's on a donut from halftime by memory. But he had, yeah, a couple of scores under 40, which didn't really inspire a lot of confidence. However, another preseason under his belt, I think he can repay me, hopefully go over that 60 at least. He could be a 75-80 point average, which would be great. I don't think he'll be my R2 for the entire year, but he's a good person to maybe start with. Like I said, with a midfield, there's also a lot of value to be had in that second ruck spot. Zach Clark is another one from the Bombers who I talked about in my article that could maybe push himself into contention. He's only priced at 270k, so he's dirt cheap. So you might be wise to avoid the guys like Steph Martin, Toddy Goldstein, types like that, Sam Jacobs, who a few people have talked about. Maybe start with English or Clark, someone, maybe even Shane Mumford. There's a few value plays there, and I, out of all of them at the moment, like the looks of Timmy English. One last guy to consider in your forward line is Luke Dalhouse. Now that he's at Geelong, I think he'll benefit from a fresh start after a couple of weird things broke out last year with the Bulldogs. There was questions over his commitment. He had injury. So I think, you know, change of scenery. Apparently, he's really good mates with Paddy Dangerfield, getting amongst a decent club in the Cats. That could be a boost for Dowhouse, and it could see him push back up to a high 80s, early 90s average. I know that he averaged 92 and 97 um, twice before, so there's no reason why he couldn't shoot back up to a 90-plus average. I had him in my team a couple of years ago. I don't think it was the premiership year. It might have been his decent 2015 from memory when he had 97, but yeah. Dalhouse in Geelong is one dude I will be considering. Priced at 570k, he's not super expensive, so he might plug my F3 or F4 spot if I uh, decide to pull the trigger. All right, before I wrap things up, I'm going to just quickly run through my fantasy team for 2019, the large fries and coke 1.0. Jake Lloyd was my first pick defender, as I'm sure he would have been for almost everyone out there. Lockie Whitfield is currently sitting in D2. Alex Witherden, Zach Williams, Sam Collins, and Hugh Goddard fill out the starting spots. I'm really high on Alex Witherden. Lucky Whitfield isn't super safe, and I could actually, with a bit of money and playing around, turn him into Rory Laird. A lot of people not starting with Rory Laird, which kind of makes me want to have him. He doesn't seem like he's got a lot of upside, but then again, neither does Jake Lloyd, and he was everyone's first pick defender. The kick-in rule is a big reason why Jake Lloyd will uh, start in a lot of teams. A lot of people think that he can go huge compared to what he did last year, and kick-ins will benefit his score. Could be in for a 10, 15-point boost. But Rory Laird wasn't amazing last year. Had a little... Well, sorry, let me take that back. He is amazing from a fantasy perspective, but he wasn't at his what I think he can be his best. Stuff that sentence up too. 
Rory Laird has upside, dare I say it. So could make his way into the large fries and Coke. Williams, I think, is almost in everyone's team and should be considering the way he played in the finals. Sam Collins, by all reports, will start in Gold Coast Best 22, so he'll make you some money. And then those basement picks, you know, you're kind of clutching at straws at this time of the year. But Goddard is on my field. And then i got Wig and Burgess from the Suns as well on my bench. In the midfield, I've avoided all the uber premiums for now. If I was to pick anyone, I don't think I'd start with Jackie McRae. I do like the looks of Cripps and Oliver, but I do wonder how much higher they can go from their 110 average they're already priced at. Josh Kelly is another one who I wrote about for the Dream Team boys already this preseason, who I think could be arguably the best player in fantasy this year, so... If I was to squeeze in anyone, it might be Kelly or Cripper and Clayton Oliver, maybe. But at the moment, I'm starting with Matt Crouch, Zach Merritt, Taylor Adams, and Dustin Martin as my four big guns in the midfield. Dan Hatterbury is my mid-pricer, but I'm chopping and changing between him and Libba every day. And then a bunch of rookies planning out the rest of the mids. Sam Walsh, to no one's surprise. Luke Valenti, who I think if he gets on the park will be good for the Dockers this year, was pretty awesome for South Australia in the under-18 championships, so hopefully he can find some midfield time for Frio. Uh, Charlie Constable, Brett Bewley, and Nick Hind round out my last three midfield spots. The one dude that everyone picked to start the year is Brody Grundy, and he's my captain right now sitting in R1. As I've already talked about, Timmy English takes up the second spot. Darcy Fort has replaced Matthew Flynn as my R3. And everyone's favourite R4, Darcy Cameron, rounds out the rucks. And then finally, the forwards. I've gone pretty top-heavy in the forwards. I've got Danger, as I'm sure most people do. I've also got Dunkley and Heaney, though. So if I had to pick one, I think I'll start with Dunkley. Heaney, I'll have a little bit of uh, scepticism over if he can be uh, one of the top six forwards. I'm sure he was last year. I can't remember off the dome, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I feel a little bit cautious over Heaney, but I think, like I've said a few times, there's more value players out there. Wingard's currently sitting at F4, along with Setterfield, Corbett, another Gold Coast guy who will be in their best 22 for most of the year, you'd expect. And then Shane McAdam and Ben Kavara from the Bulldogs rounding out my bench spots. So that's how the Large Fries and Coke are starting as we speak. The January edition of the Large Fries and Coke, I'm sure, once again, I'll change it. 10 times before I publish this podcast. And that is it. Make sure that you hit up sportsbyfry.com for more articles. I'm going to be doing my Super Bowl preview over the next day or two before this weekend's big game. Got another piece coming out on Dream Team Talk tomorrow, actually. So once I've done recording this podcast, it's about 5 in the Arvo, Wednesday Arvo time. I'll probably publish this Thursday morning so that I can get that DT Talk piece completed. So make sure you check that out. But once again, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you leave a rating and review if you like the pod, if you're listening on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, mostly appreciated. And until next time, peace.